welcome to the Documenting Climate Change podcast. My name is Chris King, and in this episode, I'll be speaking to Damon Gamow, award-winning documentary filmmaker and the person behind a recently released feature-length documentary on climate change called 2040. Motivated by his four-year-old daughter and concern for the planet she will inherit, Damon embarks on a global journey to meet the innovators and changemakers pioneering the best solutions already available to us today to improve the health of our planet and societies. Drawing on some of the best minds from around the world, focusing on climate, economics, technology, civil society, agriculture, and sustainability, 2040 maps out a pathway for change that can lead us to a more ecologically sustainable and equitable future. The film was released in Australia at the end of 2019, where you can now buy or rent it, and is still being screened across the UK. For those of you in the US, Canada, and elsewhere, you'll be able to watch it at some point this year. To find out more about how and where and when you can watch the film, visit whatsyour2040.com. Regardless of whether or not you've seen the film, this interview will be of interest to you, offering an insight to the hows and the whys of getting a feature-length documentary like 2040 off the ground and in front of audiences across the globe. We discuss the impact of a solutions-based approach to communicating on the issue of climate change and the power it has to influence and motivate action in a way and to a level that disaster-focused stories struggle to do. We also talk about the impact and motivations for developing an online platform for the audience to engage with, going well beyond just informing people who watch the film Damon and his team have strived to create an accessible and effective means by which people can channel their desire to act afterwards. This has resulted in some amazing initiatives being supported and implemented and an ever-growing and engaged network being formed. I believe that if we truly care about the stories we're documenting, then we should be striving to do more than simply inform our audiences. It's no longer enough to simply shine a light into the darkness. We should be working to ensure the stories we explore never again slip into the shadows and from people's consciousness. I think Damon and the platform he has created are a fantastic example of the potential we have as documentary storytellers to both show people that alternatives are possible to the broken systems we are currently living with and within and empower them to take action and be part of the change that must occur. This podcast is part of a series exploring the ways in which we can generate positive impact on the issue of climate change and help change the prevailing narrative through the types of stories we tell and the way that we tell them. To ensure you receive every episode, please subscribe to the podcast. You can also sign up to the weekly newsletter offering advice, resources, and featured work by visiting documentingclimatechange.org forward slash newsletter. If you're based in London, you can also join the Documenting Climate Change meetup group, where I organize working groups on short-form documentary filmmaking and video documentary production, with film screenings, talks, and workshops in the pipeline. Details of this and all the people and organizations Damon and I mention are in the show notes. Go to documentingclimatechange.org forward slash podcasts. And if you'd like to share your own experience of documenting the issue of climate change, the causes, the impacts, the mitigation efforts or adaption efforts, and in any format, then please get in touch. You can email me at chris at documentingclimatechange.org. Now that I've shared all that, here's my interview with Damon. My name is Damon Gamo, and uh, I'm a filmmaker. I've made a couple of documentaries. The first I made was on sugar. It was called That Sugar Film. Mm-hmm. And the second one I've just recently made is called 2040. And 2040 is 
uh, ostensibly a letter to my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, uh, showing her what the world could look like in 2040 if we put into practice all the best solutions that are available across a range of areas that mm -hmm. also um, help to, um, I guess, heal climate change, reverse climate change. Uh, so it's a bit of a visioning piece. It's um, I call it an exercise in fact-based dreaming. Everything I show her in 2040 has to exist now in some form. I can't. Nothing can be made up that I show her. So it's um, I guess just trying to show people that we have everything we need to turn this around, uh, and also to use uh, solutions as as a motivator uh, yeah. and an alternative narrative to the constant sort of doom and gloom that we're getting in the mainstream. You've taken that solutions approach, which has its merits, and and exploring the activities of those proactively working to reduce uh, the greenhouse gas emissions. Why exactly did you take that? approach instead of the kind of conventional doom and gloom and shock and awe. Mm. Well, I sort of, um, from my own experience, felt sort of quite saturated with that narrative that I'd find myself sort of getting halfway through, um, uh, you know, an article about the environment and then I'd sort of switch off and move on to something else. Or even mm. watching a film, I'd sort of get halfway through or three quarters of the way through and just I just couldn't watch it. And um, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a father of two daughters. This is something I deeply care about. Why, why am I just not um, able to stick these things out. So I did a fair bit of research and uh, spoke to an environmental psychologist named Renee Lertzman in the US. And she talked to me about this sort of recent neuroscience that said when we're only uh, telling people about the dread and the fear, or it comes with a, this sort of sense of overwhelm, that it can activate the limbic system. And when that limbic system is activated, it shuts down the part of our brain that thinks creatively and problem solves. So for a lot of people, if they're constantly hearing that negative, uh, narrative they can it can it can cause paralysis so yeah. i just thought well you know it's important to to know what's going on it's really important to not shy away from that and not make anything pollyanna but i think what we do need to boost up is that solutions narrative so that we can sound the fire alarm but we can also yeah. show show people where the exits are at the same time and you were mentioning before we started recording that you've seen a real desire to reach out to people who are proactively seeking solutions and then working on solutions because of the fires, the wildfires in Australia. Mm. So, so that kind of reinforces what yeah. you're saying, you know, that, because it is such a, a an overwhelming situation, and I'm sure the wildfires have really brought it to people's doorstep as well. Yeah, it certainly has in this country. It's really um, solidified and brought a lot of people into that sort of action-orientated state of mind. And, and I think the, the feedback that even when I was making the film is that people want to do something, but they don't know what to do. There's no entry point for people. It seems like such a large existential problem. We, we know we have to shift systemically. So what do you do as an individual? Does it actually matter if you have a keep cup or, you know, or, or do these kind of simple things and turn off your lights when yeah. the system is so big, it's so hulking, it's got so much inertia to it. So what we did is we were able to set up a lot of entry points for people after the film. We set up an impact campaign that was quite detailed with a lot of different organisations, about 50 different organisations around the world, and just tried to give people a range of different actions that they could get involved with. So we weren't being prescriptive and just saying, you know, everyone's got to eat less meat and ride their bike to work. It was right. What are your actual passions? What are you interested in here? Fill out this sort of this questionnaire and let's try and tailor your own plan to what you align with. And um, we've just had a, an extraordinary response to that. And I really feel like we've got some very solid evidence now that people do respond to solutions. We've managed to you know raise an extraordinary amount of money for the solutions that are depicted in the film and and really through people's donations often 10 15 donations we've been able to crowdfund 
the pilot projects of some of these solutions we show in the film so that people do feel an ownership. We report that constantly back to them and, and they're just thrilled to feel like they're moving forward and they're on the cusp of something that could potentially be quite transformative. Um, yeah. To give that people a sense of moving forward, I think, is is far more exciting and motivating than constantly just scaring the bejesus out of them. In your last film as well, that sugar film, you created a platform for people to engage with beyond the screens, beyond the cinema. And you've just said that this platform that you've created for 2040 has had a significant impact. What is the thinking? Like, why have you as, a, as an individual decided to go beyond just filmmaking and just raising awareness and instead want to use your films as a call to action and not only that but actually provide people with the tools that they can engage it to make it accessible and to give people you know that that potential to engage beyond just being informed yeah i mean i think uh it came again from my own frustration sometimes at watching a documentary or a film that i really engaged with and then you know 10 minutes later you just find yourself you know, back pulled into the hulking inertia of the system again, and you're you're yep. on social media, or you've that 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 feeling you've had has dissipated very quickly. And I just mm. thought, you know what, we're, we're sort of there's an opportunity here to, to capture that emotion or capture that sort of feeling that someone might have at the end of that film. How do you then channel them in that brief moment that the door just opens a little bit? Can you give them enough uh, tools or information or resources that allow them to to pry the door open a little bit wider and actually? Yeah make a difference and I think film is incredibly powerful for that it's a yeah. very powerful medium you know I, I think it's been a big flaw often of the environmental movement if we, is we've just relied on logic and graphs and data to try and convince people and, and that's not who we are humans are a species that's evolved to tell stories yeah. and we need to be able to tell stories but then allow the story to continue don't let it just stop when your movie stops and I think, um, you know, we had great success with that in Sugar, and I really wanted to take it to the next level um, with, with this space, especially because I felt that there wasn't anywhere to go if you were passionate about these topics. There, there weren't any trusted voices anymore. How do you meet up with a community of like-minded people to start trying to solve some of these problems together? And um, I just wanted to, to facilitate a space for that to happen. So um, it's been wonderful, you know, what's happened. And now, you know, we can sort of, which is always the intention, we're not owning it. We're just sort of decentralising it and letting people you know, do their own things. And now people are doing regeneration weekends across Australia. They're doing, all the councils are doing screening. Schools are teaching the curriculum. You know, it's all nothing to do with us anymore, but it's just mm -hmm. at least given people the resources to go and empower themselves um, and then find that area that they particularly resonate with to then go and inspire others. And based on those experiences, what are the lessons that you've learned? Like what, are, what has really worked and what hasn't worked? Have there been those, mm. those examples that have really stood out that this has actually been embraced and really had a, a massive impact and then other things just have fallen by mm. the way and people haven't engaged with? Yeah, definitely. I think there's, um, you know, I mean, the seaweed, project in particular uh, has been really well received and I think um, for people that haven't seen the film we, we sort of show the potential of seaweed in, in terms of its sequestering ability so it's the fastest growing organism in the world and can, the brown seaweeds can grow up to 50 meters long so they're able to just pull down lots of carbon from the atmosphere very quickly they also regenerate the fish stocks they create an ecosystem for the fish to lay their eggs they mm -hmm. alkalize the water and the seaweed themselves can be used for a range of different um, things now from bioplastics to, to fertilizer and biofuels. So 
people really got excited by that because of the purity of it. There was no, there's no vested interest yet. It hasn't been politicized. It's just a very simple biological solution. It doesn't involve a huge amount of high tech. It's something that we already have and it just makes sense. There's something about it that resonates with people. And I would say that's been a big learning is that, and, and you know, I talk about this a lot uh, at various organizations and, and climate events and that I think, again, we've just, uh, the way we talk about climate change sometimes can be really um, disconnecting for people. The more we talk about anthropogenic, uh, net zero, you know, negative emissions, people just don't really grasp that. They're kind of buzzwords for those that sort of understand the science. But yeah. I think the more we can get back to really disseminating and distilling this information into what we all value, whether you believe in climate change or not, whatever your political or religious persuasion is, you know, we all want community. We all want security. We all want health. We all want our kids to have a better future. So the more we can talk about this problem in those human terms that are very real, we're just going to make much more progress, I think. And we're going to stop butting up against each other and, and get lost in these arguments about the science and when did it warm and all these things that just are such great distractions. Yeah. We know it's happening. Let's just get on with it. And so even, you know, when you see the film, for those who might see it, even if climate change wasn't happening, we want to do all these things anyway because they improve the quality of our soil, they improve our oceans, they decentralise our energy, they empower girls and women. But the bonus is that they're also sequestering carbon out of the atmosphere. So let's do these things anyway and let yep. the carbon be the lovely, lovely icing on the cake. It's about bringing people together as you're trying to do and, and promoting shared values because, as you say, regardless of whether you believe in it or not, there, there are still people suffering because of... Uh, coastal erosion or because of yeah. a loss of uh, fish stocks or wildfires, whatever it is, you know, there's still suffering and damage uh, and um, biodiversity loss because of it. And and that's happening here and now, regardless of, of the, the triggers or, or, you know, the, the causes, underlying causes of it. And I suppose, yeah, it's right. getting people to kind of, instead of framing it around climate change necessarily, it's framing it around uh, more ingrained shared values about wanting to yeah. do good and, and build community and, and reduce suffering yeah spot on right? and i think sometimes we we put all our eggs in the climate change basket but as you know it it is a symptom of something else that's happening and yeah. we're getting other symptoms whether it's ocean acidification whether it's the plastics in the ocean whether it's the income inequalities whether it's the land clearing like mm -hmm. something we're doing is fundamentally fundamentally wrong at the core and we're seeing we're getting the feedback that it's not right and in the same way that we go to the doctor and when we've got a a fever when our temperature rises one degree, we, it tells us to slow down or change our ways. And that's what climate change is. It's a, it's a one degree fever of the planet. And it's also the feedback to say, okay, you can either continue what you're doing, but you know where that's going to go. But yeah. here's your opportunity to actually change your ways and the way you interact with each other and all of our living systems. And it's interesting that people have engaged with the seaweed project in particular, because there's a similarity with tree planting. You know, it's something that is so simple and, you know, it doesn't require any kind of special technology or anything. It's, it's, it's very, very accessible and just has a huge amount of potential. That's right. Yeah. And they're kind of like, you know, especially it's been talked about in Australia at the moment because, you know, ostensibly they're, they're forests in the sea. That's all they yeah. are. And that's that they create these thriving ecosystems for biodiversity. And they, you know, we used to have so much more seaweed. That's what people don't understand is that right. so many coastal regions around the world were just littered with seaweed, which were these giant forests and the fish and the, the beavers and the, the dolphins all used to hang out in there. And, you know, there are parts of the world where we can do that again or we can have it really way out offshore and provide all these fish for us and all these beautiful areas to dive through with all the fish and explore. 
Uh, in fact, you know, we've just uh, been approached by a group in Devon that want to um, launch a, a seaweed platform there. So we're just putting together a video for them as well. So that, Brilliant. again, to try and show people that this isn't isolated to Australia or certain parts of the world. Everywhere can do their own version of it. Um, so um, I really hope that that takes off in Devon as well because it's a really beautiful idea. Clearly, you're having an amazing impact and people have engaged with the film, but also the platform, they've taken it further. So, you know, you've had some real, real successes. Is there anything that you would have, based on hindsight and experience, that you would do differently if you were to start it off? <laughs> um, yeah, good question. Probably, um, uh, you know, we said this for Sugar as well, but we would have had more staff. We just, we just didn't have the capacity to deal with all the things that came in and the, and the different requests. Uh, yeah. That's been a real challenge. Right. And also, I think, you know, when you are philanthropically funded, which we were through the Good Pitch model for our outreach campaign, you know, there's always in the back of your mind, how do we how do we keep this going? Because, you yeah. know, people are so grateful for the resources, but we, we've come to a point where we, we don't want to keep asking for money. So I think what happened early on is we were making these videos for other people and, and sending so much money their way, which was really great. But if we'd been clever, we just would have said, you know, maybe we should just take a little clip of that just to make sure that we're also um, sustainable and keep going ourselves. So that mm. would be something I, I think anyone who wants to build something like this is just make sure you protect yourself because, you know, it's all well and good to be sharing your film and it takes a lot of work. As you know, you, you know, I've, I think I've done about 130 Q&As around the country now and nice. it is time consuming and it's, yeah. it's exhausting that you do it because you love it. But you've yeah. just got to make sure that you've got the, the, the right structures in place that make sure you don't burn out, that you are sharing a load. Because um, often these social impact docs, uh, or especially climate change ones, you know, there's there's a lot of emotion around them, and the screenings are often uh, the Q and A's are often really robust and interesting. Yeah. But uh, you know, there's a lot of travel, and you just have to make sure that you're um yeah you're, you're regenerating yourself at the same time. Yeah, no, sure. And in terms of the funding, how did you go about accessing that initially, and then obviously throughout as the as the project grew, how did you? pitch the idea how did you access funding for the project initially basically before i'd even made the film we were invited again to good pitch which some people might be aware of it's basically a an organization that exists around the world it was started by brit doc um, and sundance labs and they basically choose six it happens in various countries now i think there's one in the uk and they choose six or seven documentaries and invite you along to a room of uh, philanthropists and you've got seven minutes to basically pitch your idea Okay. And then you have to hope that it resonates with the people in the room. And if it does, then they will put up their hand or come up to a microphone and sort of um, offer you money to support usually your outreach campaign. So not the film itself, but the platform to develop resources to take the film further into the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I really, 2040 was a very, very basic idea lurking around somewhere in the back of my head and a good pitch because we'd been there with the sugar film and had quite success. Said, look, you know, do you want to come back? So I very quickly cobbled together a bit of a treatment and then shot a two-minute trailer and, and grabbed bits and pieces from other films and shot a few things myself. Mm -hmm. And we went into the opera house and, and we had seven minutes and we just had one of those moments where it was so obvious that people were desperate for this um, solutions narrative and yeah. just the out, outpouring of emotion and relief. And, and we ended up raising almost $2 million in seven minutes just from people wow. you know, standing up saying, you know, I've got three daughters, I want you to make this film, this is for them, I'm gonna give you $100,000. And it was just one of those very, very surreal moments. And then uh, a couple of days later, you know, a few of those um, donors had, had approached us and said, look, you know, can, we'd like to fund the film, because at this point we didn't even have a you know, single thing shot. 
So it all happened very quickly in a matter of uh, just under a week. And so it was a combination of, of Screen Australia money, which is our government body and um, one of the state governments. They gave us the majority of the money. And then we had a couple of other um, private investors. And then we had about, um, I think it's about 20 different donors for the outreach component, which are all listed on our website. Um, and then usually they either give money to support, you know, the developing the curriculum materials or other things that you might need, but then they also give you access to their network. So, which is even more valuable in a way for documentary uh, filmmakers, because suddenly you've got this incredible number of uh, email addresses and platforms of people that are suddenly aware of your film. It's like marketing in a way. So, um, these organisations then get to use your film. It's a win for them. It's, they can have an event, bring people together and get a great discussion going. So mm -hmm. it's just, um, it's a really exciting, um, I guess, collaboration that's emerging right around the world now, of that real partnering with organisations and film to just make sure that it has a, as big an impact as possible. But I suppose, you know, that it's an indication that there was a real need for something like this, for what you were, what you were presenting and what you were offering, that, you know, yeah. It kind of countered, because I think people realize that the past, you know, three decades, there's something wrong with the narrative, you know, there's something wrong with how we've engaged with climate change, because yeah. we are where we are now, uh, and we're right at the precipice, but we've kind of been sleepwalking towards that <laughs> precipice for the past 30 years, despite yeah, sure. the knowledge that we have, despite all the science, you know, that, and all the communications that have occurred, all the political events that have occurred over the past 30 years, and yet we're still where we are. And, right. and I think a big part of that is the communication side of it, and that it's been inaccessible to most, and people can't relate to it because it's been starving polar bears and melting ice caps. And, and what exactly. you do is, yeah. is kind of bring it to, you know, made, made it very human-centric, made it very personal, and made it very relatable. And, and then yeah. also the solutions element of it just makes it less overwhelming you know it's, it's kind of taking something massive and breaking it down and saying right you know we can do this this and this and this is only scratching the surface you know there are so many other opportunities out there to engage with this you know I mean, that's so, yeah. right that's it and i i think you know there's a I often use the analogy of you know often getting told that you're sick and if you just kept going for 30 years every day and he kept saying, yep, you're sick. In fact, you're even sicker now. And you're, here's another, you know, take this leaflet home with you and read about how sick you are. At some point you say, great, what can I do about it? Where's, where's the way that I can get better? And we just, for some reason, have not been pushing that narrative anywhere near enough, mm -hmm. um, knowing that it's a, it's the great motivator for us. It's the psychology. So mm -hmm. um, I, I just think it's time, which is great, and people are waking up to that. And I also think it's important, the, the imagination element. I think, you know, there's been a crisis of imagination as well to say that, mm -hmm. you know, what does it look like on the other side of this crisis as a way of motivating people as well? Let's all start sharing the, these sort of visions. We do it you know as individuals or companies are told to have their goals or their visions why don't we do it collectively well, yeah. why don't we say right you know what do we want this to look like if we are going to think of a new system and a new way of operating let's start throwing up some ideas to discuss and debate so yeah. i think there's a big role for artists and filmmakers and storytellers and songwriters and poets whoever it might be this yeah. is your time this is your your call to arms to rise up and actually affect the culture in that way and actually start affecting people's um, hearts at a, at a really deep level yeah. and let's try and create this beautiful world that we know we can we can create um, but we've got to start by imagining it and seeing it first no definitely yeah because culture is based on stories the foundations of it and and yeah we can all storytellers can come together and, and yeah as you say other creatives can come together and try and create a new narrative and, and develop a new culture by yeah. exploring these 
seeing projecting into the future and seeing what we can aim for realistically but then you know i also think that there's a need to share the voices of those people who are suffering right now because i think they they aren't getting heard either you know the fact that so many people obviously you know with the wildfires in australia maybe you know this is an exception but but in terms of people in the west or the global north you know generally they feel that it's it's geographically distant and, and distant in yeah. time as well but you know so i i feel like there's a need to share the voices of those people who are currently being impacted by it you know whether it's whether it's the actual impacts themselves or whether it's adaption efforts you know there's still that potential to have a, a solutions focus on it but yep. just ensuring that people realize that it is here and it is now and right. uh, it's impacting everybody to a certain degree and and yeah just waking up to it as you say yeah i think especially as, as you alluded to that the um so many of those people are the ones with the lowest emissions you know like mm. they're actually feeling the brunt of our excess you know and that's what yeah. i just found really like challenging and confronting and especially in the film we go to bangladesh who yeah. arguably is one of the most vulnerable climate countries in the world i think if they if, a, if the sea level rises just half a meter they lose about 40 percent of their land so wow. uh, they are scrambling to do things they're feeling it they've got you know so many natural disasters going on um, and just to see that and think gosh and, and these people are just contributing nothing to the global problem in terms of their emissions and whatnot it's just such a tiny amount and yet here we are in our luxurious, um, air-conditioned, <laughs> well-formed societies, um, yeah. you know, not deliberately doing it, but just unaware that, that, that our excess is actually affecting people around the world. It's all connected. And yeah. you're right. How do we, we start to just, just to raise that awareness um, better than we have been um, so that we can make sure that their voices are heard? And what about politicians and, and policymakers? You know, have they reached out to you and, and engaged with the film and, and the platform? Yeah, it's been interesting, certainly at a local level. So we've probably done about 35 councils in Australia now have done, you know, what's your 2040 night? And they've invited the public in, they've done screenings, they've had a panel, the councillors have been there and they've really talked about what the best solutions are for their region. And that's been really encouraging. Mm -hmm. um, we have got a parliamentary screening in the UK coming up. It was supposed to be uh, in December, but then all the elections happened. So that's mm -hmm. due to happen uh, in the next couple of months. So okay. I'll probably come over for that. And then, um, yeah, we, I mean, we're, we're in a very interesting position in Australia. We, we've just had no leadership at all. We've sort of followed the sort of the, the more right-leaning politics of the last few years, whether in America or Brazil or, or here or um, wherever, really. There's been a huge push that way. And I think, um, as we know, that sort of those conservative values aren't traditional conservative values which would be to conserve yeah. <laughs> they're um yeah they're really into the denial narrative so even our government here has just been really denying climate change for a long time which is just so sad and it's because we make so much money out of coal we export coal it's one of the biggest reasons we've become a, a wealthy nation and we still export uh, loads of it especially to china and so we have our, our sort of conservative government is, is very involved with the um, the Minerals Council and the Mining Council, and they're just scared to sort of um, step out of line there. Plus, they're, um, you know, we've got a very powerful, like you guys, we've got Rupert Murdoch here, but he's he's very dominant in our media landscape. He, he yeah. circulates about 70% uh, of the newspapers here. That, uh, so, you know, they're telling a very particular story about climate change and, and often a denial story, and they're protecting their own vested interests. So there are parts of the country that just don't get any other story other than the Rupert's version of events. So, um, you know, you can't blame people. That's just, again, this is about storytelling and narratives, as we've described. And um, some of those people have done a very good job at hijacking that narrative. And this is why it's, uh, it's the time to start telling new stories and wake people up to what's been going on. 
it's one thing understanding that and knowing that, but because as you say, like the, the mainstream media in here, well, in the UK, right-wing press is owned by vested interests and in, in Australia, it's the same. And they're all telling a, a different narrative. And so, but they, they also tend to have the biggest circulation. And mm. so, and it might be that that's the only source of news that people get exposed to. And there's no reference to climate change in terms of extreme weather events or anything like that, or any sort of debate around it or discussion around it. So, you know, if that's, if that's the, the landscape that we're dealing with in terms of the vast majority of people aren't being exposed to reality, mm. how do we as, as storytellers uh, bypass that and, and get yeah. those stories in front of uh, their readership you know, people who may not normally engage with uh, what we're producing and, yeah. and that change, or, or do we have to? Do we have to kind of affect everybody <laughs> or is it just a percentage? Or, you know, how, how can we really kind of undermine what the, the right-wing press is doing and get more people engaged in, in the, the realisation that climate change is an issue and it's on everybody's doorstep? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, there's no easy answer to that. I think what's <laughs> happened is that as the nature itself is, is, is she's bearing her teeth and revealing the truth to a lot of people, that's certainly happened in Australia. I think these mm-hmm. fires have been, mm-hmm. once Sydney was blanketed in smoke and Canberra itself, the nation's capital, was blanketed in smoke and airports were closed because of fires, like suddenly it's in your own backyard. Yeah. And in the same way that the people of Bangladesh or the Pacific Islands know how real it is, suddenly yeah. a lot of Australians woke up to that truth. So what's mm. been fascinating here is there's been a real movement uh, even in the last month or so against the Murdoch papers. Um, people are handing in their sort of Foxtel subscriptions, which is his TV service here. Okay. Uh, there's a movement called the Un-Australian going around because his newspaper is called The Australian here. There's an Un-Australian. People are really calling out uh, their mistruths. And, and what's been really great is even we've been getting a lot of in- international coverage of that um, narrative and so you know the BBC uh, um, NBC in America have actually been calling out what's been going on in our newspapers and the denial which has been really great because we're getting that external pressure which has um, yeah. really um, been very grateful so thank you to your country for doing that please continue to keep piling that piling that on us um, but yeah I think it's um we this is where we can be really clever with our storytelling I think that we need to not try and impress and get everyone on board. I think that mm. the stats show there's about 7% that are always going to deny and they're just locked in their views. And, and so we don't need to try and convince those people. But there is a huge majority of people that are sort of concerned but on the fence and don't know what to do. And I think that, that that's where we can start. You know, we know we've got the choir. They're going to go and see the film anyway. We'll mm-hmm. see whatever we're making. But how do we bring those people in? And from my experience, and that's what we try to do with 2040, it's to... It's to make it broad and accessible. Yeah. Don't make your film just to be the darling of Sundance or some festival because no one's going to see it. Mm. And it does my head in. It rips my hair out that these filmmakers that are often just so concerned with their own careers or their own filmmaking or their own ego that you've just got to consider your audience. And it's yeah. not enough, I don't think, with these kind of films to have it just clapped at a very boutique, small, elite group of documentary filmmaking guys. I mean, I just... I think that's just not where we're at right now. We've got to try and find ways to make our films as broad and accessible as possible. And the reality is that people, people's lives are busy and they're stressed and they're tired. The last thing they want to do is come home and put on a film about watching the, the reefs die or, or some more catastrophic story. I think we have to be clever in terms of we can still we've got to frame the problem but in, an, in a solutions narrative. So instead of yeah. most climate films being you know, 90 minutes of bad news and then there might be four minutes at the end of, hey, but you can do this and buy this fish with this label on it and stuff. That's great. We've tried that. 
but I think we have to switch that around so that we're still talking about the problem, but it's framed within, here's the things we can do. Here's what people are doing. Because when you do that, it gives people permission to go, wow, okay, that's great. I might investigate that. That's something I can do. It just allows them to find their own agency and, and, and gives them tools to help them move forward. Whereas at the moment, we've just for some reason got stuck in this one of just trying to convince people with how bad it is and bang them over the head and show them more graphs. And I know there's value in that. I understand that. But there is a huge majority of people that just disengage with that and cannot connect with this topic anymore. So we've just got to be a lot sharper and a bit um, more aware of how we're communicating. I agree. And, and what you're doing is testament to that fact, you know, that 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 approach works and with the level of engagement that you've had, you know, which has been fantastic and, and long may it continue. And I hope you get much more support for all the projects that you, you featured and those that didn't make the cut. And, <laughs> and, and yeah, like I hope, I hope it continues well, to grow and grow. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. And, and I'd say that, that, you know, that one of the best things I, I, I take, have taken away from this, this last four years is just how many things we had to leave out and how many things there are that are going on that, you know, you know we're, we're sort of working on a bit of a series at the moment because it's the only way to fit, you know, we almost need seven hours of content just to show yeah. the incredible array of things that are going on. And, and you're not going to see them in the mainstream narrative. They're not going to focus on them. It's the, it's the Sarah, Rebecca Solnit book, The Hope in the Dark, which is, you know, that mainstream spotlight is not where the action is. It's in the shadows off to the side of the stage. And if you can shine your own personal light on that side of the stage, that's where you'll be inspired. And you'll see all the wonderful humans that are trying to do things, the experiments that are going on around democracy, around, you know, shared resources, around agriculture. There's just so many things happening at the moment. And if you can stay in that space and spend less time, you know, on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, just go and look out for the solutions. You can't help but feel hopeful because yeah. you just see what humans are capable of. And, um, you know, whenever people say to me, oh, I don't, you know, do you think we can do it? I say, well, you know, in 12 hours last year, on one day, in 12 hours, the people of Ethiopia planted 350 million trees yeah. in 12 hours. That's yeah. what we're capable of. Exactly. When we actually set our mind to it, we can do anything. So don't believe this, this doom and gloom nihilistic narrative because it's just, you know, yep, we're, we're, it's urgent, but we can get through this. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, where, whereabouts can people find out more about uh, you and uh, the film 2040? Yeah, so we've got a, a website, which is called whatsyour2040.com. Uh, and, you know, I encourage people to go check that out. And there's a button on there that says activate your plan. And again, that's where we'll sort of ask you a few questions and then point you to some of the 50 organizations we've teamed up with around the world to sort of give you an entry point of how you can get involved. Um, we've got a really active Facebook group. We've actually got a closed group of, of members there. There's about 15,000 in there that really are passionate in terms of helping each other and discussions and tips about, you know, whether it's your veggie patch in your backyard or the best carbon sequestering plants or how to get the best solar. They're a very engaged audience there. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, there's, there's multiple entry points for people. Okay, great. Well, thank you again, uh, and it's been great chatting to you, and it's great work that you're doing, and, and I hope, as I say, the, the support keeps growing and growing. Um, Thanks, and Chris. I, yeah, I appreciate it. I saw what you're doing too. It's fantastic. So um, we're all in it together, so uh, keep in touch. Yeah, well, indeed. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Documenting Climate Change podcast. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Damon and if you want to leave a comment or ask a question, please visit documentingclimatechange.org and navigate to the podcast section of the site. You will also find the show notes there and find out ways in which you can become 
part of the Documenting Climate Change community. If you'd like to find out more about 2040 and explore the platform, visit whatsyour2040.com. Here you'll find information on screenings, the projects featured in the documentary, and those that didn't make it in. And also learn about ways in which you can connect with local organisations through the creation of an action plan, and much more. There's also the opportunity to collaborate with me and other members of the community in creating a season of radio documentaries. So please sign up to the site at documentingclimatechange.org and join the groups that interest you to become part of the movement towards creating more stories on climate change that have impact. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast via whichever app you use and please share this episode with everyone you know and help more people see it by leaving a rating and review. Thanks again and until next time, take care.